Good morning. Welcome to Bayview Glen Church. We're glad you're here this morning. My name is Lucas Cooper. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are continuing a series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Choices. Choices, helping us make great life-giving choices, not in the moral stuff, the right and wrong stuff, not in the what the Bible says and doesn't say stuff, and that stuff, you do what the Bible says, but when it comes to the things that the Bible doesn't talk specifically about, the Bible still has great principles for helping us make great life choices. Uh, Like Nigel mentioned on our video, Joshua Slocum was the first person to circumnavigate the globe single-handedly in a sailboat, and he wrote a a book about it, actually, cleverly titled Sailing Around the World Alone. I love that title. Very clever, Joshua Slocum. Slocum's description of that experience that Nigel just recounted on video is just too funny not to read. I got to read it, okay? So Slocum, just so you know, he uses some language here that might be considered offensive today. It's kind of out of vogue a little bit, not swearing or anything like that. But remember, he's writing in 1895. So here's the situation. Here's the context. A knowledgeable local, as Joshua Slocum passed underneath the Horn of Africa through the Straits of Magellan, told him to spread carpet tacks on the deck of his ship before he went to sleep at night. Slocum writes this about that experience. He says, now it is well known that one cannot step on a carpet tack without saying something about it. A pretty good Christian will whistle lightly when he steps on the commercial end of a carpet tack. A savage will howl and claw in the air, and that is just what happened that night about 12 o'clock. While I was asleep in the cabin where the savages thought they had me, sloop and all, but changed their minds when they stepped on deck, for they thought that I or somebody else had them. I had no need of a dog. They howled like a pack of hounds. I had hardly use for a gun. They jumped pell-mell, some into their canoes and some into the sea to cool off, I suppose. And there was a great deal of free language over it as they went. (laughs) I fired several guns when I came on deck to let the rascals know that I was home. And then I turned in again, feeling sure that I would not be disturbed by any more people who left in so great a hurry. (laughs) In the case of Joshua Slocum, he would not have known to spread carpet tacks on on the deck of his sailboat without the help of local knowledge, counsel from an expert who had the facts and experience that he lacked. And what's true in sailing is true in life. When it comes to making great life choices, look up here on the screen, we cannot overestimate the power of local knowledge. You cannot overstate or overvalue the power of local knowledge. And by local knowledge, we mean facts and experience that only someone who has been there before would have. Local knowledge is worth its weight in gold. If we could bottle up local knowledge in concentrated form and sell it, to engaged couples, to business leaders. We, we could all retire and sail around the world now because it would be absolutely priceless. We simply cannot overestimate the power of local knowledge, counsel from people who have been there before. So this morning, we're going to apply some biblical principles to help us learn the value of local knowledge and learn to access it and then apply it. But before we get there, and we're going to get to the Bible in a minute, we're going to get to Proverbs in a minute, I want to talk about why. Why local knowledge? Why outside counsel? Why inviting others into your life choices is absolutely critical? So let's start there. Let's start with why. Why? 
A guy named Robert Bruce Shaw, he's a PhD in organizational behavior. He graduated from a university called Yale University, which is obviously the Arizona State University of the East, but um, that's beside the point. He's a 30-year veteran in business leadership and business consulting. He helps business leaders build great teams and great companies. And in 2004, Robert, or 2014, uh, Robert Bruce Shaw published a book called Leadership Blind Spot. Some of you actually may have even read that book. And in that book, he proposes a grid, a very simple grid, but it's a grid for understanding your strengths and weaknesses. Now, Shaw is talking directly to business leaders, but these are applicable when it comes to marriage, and these are applicable when it comes to life. Every Everybody kind of, everybody's got strengths and weaknesses, so he's talking to you too, okay? So here's the grid that Shaw proposes. Look up here on the screen. He says that we've all got strengths and weaknesses, right? That makes sense. I'm good at some things. I'm not good at others. I've got a theological education. I don't have a medical education. Some things that I'm just naturally strong at, some things that I'm naturally weak at. Same goes for you. You've got some strengths and some weaknesses. And then on the other side of the grid, Shaw says that some of them you're aware of and some of them you're not aware of. Sometimes you know what your strengths are and your weaknesses are. Sometimes you're not aware of what they are. And so here's what Shaw says. He says that there are some strengths and weaknesses, sorry, some strengths that I'm aware of, and in the case of the strengths that I'm aware of, I know what I know, right? I know I know what I know, and you know what you know. You know that you've got some facts and experience and some knowledge in a particular area of life. You're aware of some of your strengths, right? So you know what you know. And then you're aware of some of your weaknesses. So on the weaknesses you're aware of, you know what you don't know. Does that make sense? You know what you don't know. You know that you've got some weaknesses. I know some of my weaknesses. I tend to be impetuous at times. I tend to get really directive at times. Those are some of the weaknesses that I'm aware of. And then, watch this, this is great. Because then you've got some strengths that you're not aware of. And you don't know what you know. Isn't that awesome? You, did you check this out? You're doing some stuff in life that you're really good at, that you're really strong at, and you don't even know it. Isn't that awesome? I, I've heard it said before, you're so money and you don't even know it at times, right? You're strong at some things, you don't even realize it. But watch this, watch this. Now, the weaknesses that you're not aware of, you don't know what you don't know. You've got some weaknesses that you're not aware of, and in those cases, you don't know what you don't know. And it's this area of life that Shaw says has the most potential for disaster when it comes to big life choices. In those weaknesses that you're not aware of, in the places where you don't know where you don't know, they tend to get us into the most trouble, don't they? When it comes to making great life choices. Because if it's a strength... Look, if it's a strength, whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm going to make a good choice. I'm just good at that, right? Whether I know it or not. And if it's a weakness that I'm aware of, if I know what I don't know, at least I can mitigate this. At least I can manage the weaknesses I've got. But if I don't know what I don't know, then I'm in deep, deep yogurt right there. That's where we get into trouble. So let's put Shaw's principle into the language that we've been using in this series the last couple weeks. Here's the language we've been using. We've been saying this, that wisdom is facts plus experience. Next slide, if you would. Wisdom is facts plus experience equals the best course of action, right? Wisdom is facts plus experience equals the best course of action. A couple weeks ago, we talked to the fool. We said that the fool has facts and experience, but something happens at that equal sign. And the fool doesn't apply the facts and experience that they've got in order to determine the best course of action. 
action. We talk to the cynic and to the mocker who doesn't want the best course of action anyway. The Bible says don't even rebuke them because they're not going to listen to you. But remember there was one other person, the simpleton. Do you remember? Remember the simpleton? The simpleton lacks facts and experience. The simpleton tends to be young. The simpleton tends to be naive. The simpleton is uninformed. The simpleton is inexperienced. The simpleton does not know what he does not know. And if you don't know what you don't know, you don't stand a very good chance at making a great choice, right? Is this not just true in business? This is true in every area of life. Single men and women, when it comes to marriage, you don't know what you don't know. I love doing weddings because one thing every couple has in common, every engaged couple that's never been married before, don't have a previous marriage, everyone has the same thing in common. They have absolutely no idea what they're getting into. They don't know what they don't know. When I came to Bayview Glen, I stepped into a lead pastor role for the very first time. I was a simpleton in that particular area of my life. I didn't have some facts and experience. And some of you are thinking, there was a lot of stuff. No, not <laughs> just some things, all right? But, but that, that goes for everybody. There's always something new, some new choice, some new thing you're facing where you lack the facts and experience that you need in order to determine the best course of action. You're a simpleton. You don't know what you don't know. When you send your first kid off to college, when you walk that very first daughter down the aisle, when you think about purchasing that first home, when you're contemplating retirement for the first time, you're a simpleton, just like I was, because those are all firsts. You don't know what you don't know. And Shaw's observation is absolutely true. When we don't know what we don't know, when we lack the facts and experience that we need, there is no way we can determine the best course of action. Now watch this. I think the Bible's funny. I do. Jesus tells jokes. Did you know that? Jesus, I'll point them out sometime. You have to like do the Greek and everything to really get it. But that's beside the point. I'll tell them some of your jokes sometimes. Some of Jesus' jokes, okay? And Paul tells jokes sometimes. But here's another reason why I think the Bible is really, really funny. Get this. Robert Bruce Shaw wrote his book in 2014. Solomon wrote his book in 900 BC. <laughs> Nearly 3,000 years ago, God through his servant Solomon, wrote down both the problem, and specifically in this case, the problem is sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes you're a simpleton. Sometimes you lack facts and experience. That's a problem sometimes when it comes to making great life choices. Solomon wrote that problem down, and you know what else he did? He wrote down the solution. He wrote down the solution. And if you follow his advice, it will save you a ton of money, it will save you a ton, a ton of tears. It will save you a ton of time and a ton of heartache over and over and over again if you follow his advice in terms of making great life choices. You ready for it? You ready for his advice? This is God's advice. You ready? Okay, I'm going to read six Proverbs, six kind of one-liners that Solomon wrote down, wisest man who ever lived, six of them. I'm going to see if you can detect a pattern. Are you ready? Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 8.32, listen to my instruction and be wise, do not ignore it. Proverbs 19.20, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 15.31, he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Just because my parents are here today, I'll do this one. Proverbs 23.22, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old or if she's young like mine is. Here's my favorite one, ready? Proverbs 22, 17, it's up here on the screen. Pay attention and what? Say it. Listen to the sayings of the wise. This is all about listening. 
in some area of your life, you lack the requisite facts and experience in order to determine the best course of action. You don't know what you don't know. So Solomon says this, it's easy peasy. Listen, listen. You got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen, twice as much as you talk. Now, this isn't innovative, is it? Like you're not sitting here thinking this is the most profound spiritual truth I've ever heard. Like, oh my gosh, I I lack requisite facts and experience in order to make a wise choice, so here's how I solve it. I listen. Can you believe that? That, That's just life-changing. That's absolutely life-changing. You're probably not thinking that, and yet we don't always listen, do we? We don't always invite others in to our situations in our lives and into our hearts, others who have, who have been there before, in order to help us make great life choices. This is what God is telling us to do, to invite others in and listen, but we don't always do it. And here's why I think we don't always do it. Because we aren't always totally sold on the value of counsel. We're not always totally sold on the value of local knowledge. We're not always totally sold that others might have that facts and experience. And and even if they do, why is it so critical? So here's what I want to do. I want to give you two reasons why asking the locals is absolutely critical when it comes to life choices. Two key reasons why you would do well to heed God's advice here and listen to those who have been in your situation. And then what we're going to do is real briefly conclude with four things that you can do. You can apply them today, practical ways that you can build into your life to help you be a great listener and apply Proverbs twenty-two seventeen. So let's start with why this is so critical. Okay, why it's so critical to invite outside counsel to ask the locals when it comes to big and small life choices. Here's the first one, is that emotional choices tend to be poor choices. Emotional choices tend to be poor choices. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about rushed choices, hurried choices, impetuous choices? Those don't tend to be great choices, but emotional choices are the same way. They're not always bad but they're bad a lot of times. Let's put it this way. When was the last time you made an impulse purchase and it turned out to be a really great investment? Like I was in Mexico one time. You know, the vendors come by on the beach. You know, if if you've been to Mexico or been to a place like that, they come by on the beach. And I bought a poncho. Like a a poncho. Like Like it's like a blanket with like a hole in the top. And you put your head in it and it's got tassels on the bottom. It was gray with like neon orange and blue on the bottom. I, w- I was looking for it yesterday. I wish I could find it just so you could come in and go, that was an emotional choice, wasn't it? And it was a very, very, very bad one. I find this is especially true in romantic relationships. Single people and married people as well, we tend to make really poor choices when we're driven by our emotions. Let me be, cl- let me be clear with you. Emotions aren't bad. Emotions are not a bad thing, but they're really bad navigators. But if you invite other people in, if you listen to instruction, if you listen to the sayings of the wise, those counselors have a better chance at making a great choice or helping you make a great choice because their emotions aren't involved. They've got no emotional dog in that hunt. And they can help you make a a lot better life choice. Think of it this way. Dad, I love this boy. He's so handsome and cute, and he's 43, and he lives in his mom's house and plays video games all day. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Your emotions are driving that choice. 
But if you come ask your pastor, I don't love that boy. I don't have any emotions for that boy, and I have no emotional skin in that game. So I can step back and say, no, 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 bad choice. How about this one, ready? Oh my gosh, this is the greatest promotion ever. They're going to let me work 80 hours a week, and they're going to give me a 2% pay increase, and I'm going to have to spend all of my time traveling away from my family. Isn't that wonderful? Again, in that case, an emotion is driving your your choice. It's called excitement and elation. But again, I've got no dog in that hunt. So I can step back and go, no, 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 that's a bad choice. Don't let your emotions make that choice for you. And others can too. Experts, friends, colleagues, spouses can make a non-emotion driven choice, but you have to invite them in and do what? Listen to the sayings of the wise. Chip and Dan Heath, they're a sociologist out of Stanford University in California. They wrote a number of books that some of you have read before, New York Times bestsellers, one called Made to Stick, a couple other ones. They wrote a book called Decisive, and in this book, Decisive, they unpack the process of making choices, a New York Times bestseller, again. And these guys, Chip and Dan Heath, help to identify the reasons why we make bad choices and help us to make better choices. And the Heath brothers, in this book, Decisive, argued that short-term emotion is one of four villains that wreck our decisions. They hijack the decision-making process. They say the same thing that we're saying today. Emotional choices are typically not great choices. So their solution is called detachment, and they propose a number of ways that we can avoid the trap of letting short-term emotion drive our choices. One of those tools that they propose to help us detach from the emotions that are driving the choice is to invite others into the process. More specifically, others who have already solved your problem. Experts, locals, young married couples. Get around, I was going to say older married couples. That's, That's probably not helpful. Okay, get around people who have been married longer than you, okay? Business leaders, young ones, get around people who have been doing that longer than you have. If you're contemplating retirement or if you're contemplating a move, you're facing a big life choice, get around somebody who has done that before and invite them in because they're not emotionally attached to your choice. They're an expert. They can speak into it. They've been there before. They've navigated those waters before, and they can help you make a non-emotion-driven choice. It's absolutely critical. This is why Solomon repeatedly, all throughout Proverbs, exhorts us to what? Listen to the counsel of the wise. They've been there before, and they're not controlled by your emotional attachment to the choice at hand. Second reason. Second reason why outside counsel is so critical. Second reason why asking the locals when it comes to big life choices is so critical is this. Someone can tell you that you've got a blank in your blank. Someone has to tell you that you have a blank in your blank. Now, I don't know what those blanks are for you, but it could sound something like this. Someone has to tell you that you have a flaw in your logic. Someone has to tell you that you have a blind spot in your personality. Someone has to tell you that you have a gap in your experience. Someone has to tell you you have a weakness in your character. Someone has to tell you that you have a piece of spinach in your teeth. Someone has to tell you that you have a booger in your nose. It could be one of those things. It could be more than one of those things. It could be none of those things. I don't know. You know why? You don't know either. Someone has to tell you 
You don't know what they are. That's kind of the point. And an outside expert, someone who's been there before, someone who loves you and cares for you, local knowledge that you invite in to tell you the things that you don't know you don't know. To help you mitigate those weaknesses that you're not aware of. This is why Solomon says, pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Because one of those people inevitably is going to say, you have a hmm in your hmm. And you got to address it. you got to fix it. And if you don't, you're going to make really, really bad choices. So let me help you. All right, so here's what we know. We know that we've got weaknesses we're not aware of. We know that the only way to avoid poor life choices as a result of those unknown weaknesses, is to invite others in, others who have been there before, others who aren't emotionally attached, and others who will be honest with us about the facts and experience that we lack. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close this way. Because I want you to be a person that does Proverbs 22, 17. That's what I want for you. You know what? Check this out. I want that for me too. I want that for me too. I want to be a person that listens to the sayings of the wise that takes in outside counsel, that values it and does it. And I want you to be that way too. You know why? Because I love you and I know this is gonna help because God said it. Hmm, isn't that great? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about four practical ways that you can apply Proverbs 22, 17. Make yourself a person that does Proverbs 22, 17 and listens to the sayings of the wise. Four things that you can do and you can start today on these four things, ready? Number one, build a personal advisory team. Build a personal advisory team. Great counselors, outside experts to help speak into your life in, your, in personal ways are a lot like retirement savings. You've got to invest before you withdraw. And if you don't invest when you have it, it won't be there when you really need it. So don't wait for crisis in your life. Don't wait until you really need advice. Build your team now of people who have permission to tell you that you have a fur in your fur, whatever it is, okay? Build a team now of people who are not emotionally attached to those decisions that love you and care about you and want the best for you. With, a multiple, with multiple counselors, plan succeed. That's what scripture says. So build, grab four or five people. This is kind of my suggestion, give or take. People who have the heart posture and the character that you long for. Not necessarily people who have accomplished goals that you want to accomplish, but people who have that heart posture and character you're looking for. Let's put it in the language you we used a few weeks ago, find a personal advisory team who are the kind of people you want to be, not the kind of people who have done the things you want to do. Build a personal advisory team and start to lean into those folks now. Start investing in those relationships now. Build a team of people that have permission to speak in your life. It doesn't have to be like a formal board meeting once a month, all right? It's just, just an informal thing where you have the opportunity to pick up the phone or go to coffee and say, help me out because I, I trust you. I love you and, and, and I want your counsel. I want your feedback. Number two, ask questions. Ask questions. Most people in the world are not like me. I will offer you unsolicited advice. (laughs) I'm happy to tell you stuff that I think you've got a piece of spinach in your teeth. I'm happy to tell you even if you don't ask me. But most people aren't like me. Most people aren't that blunt. I'm American. That's what we do, right? All right? So that's what we do. But most people aren't that way. Most people aren't going to give you unsolicited advice. So what do you've got to do? You've got to invite them in. You've got to ask questions. Listen, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? 
What do you know that I don't know? What experience do you have that I don't have? How do you think my actions made that person feel? Ow. How do you, or if you were me, what would you do? Are my emotions clouding my judgment? Do I need to make this choice now or can I extend the gaps and be a little bit more patient? What kind of character will this choice build into me? Am I weighing some things in this choice too heavily or am I weighing some things too lightly? Do you feel that my values and motivations are in the right spot? Other people in your life, if you invite them in, can provide the answers that you don't have. But you know what you have to provide? The questions. The questions. So ask questions and invite them in. Number three, listen for evasive answers. Listen for evasive answers. If everyone in the world were as blunt as I am, we would all know exactly what our weaknesses are and we would all walk around with hurt feelings all the time. But thankfully, there are some folks in the world who have a little more tact than I have, a little more bedside manner than I have. People like my wife, as a matter of fact. She's got a little more finesse, all right? She has great advice, but she isn't always direct. And so sometimes she cloaks her counsel for me. She cloaks her advice for me. She disguises it in an evasive answer. But I've got to train my ears to listen for those evasive answers. I'll give you an example. Hey, babe, how does this shirt look? Amy, you're a really great husband. So are you saying I should change the shirt? You do what you want to do. (laughs) There's often great counsel in those evasive answers. There really is. Not just with a shirt change, but with big life choices, with character traits and personality things, blind spots, things you can't see, the things that you don't know you don't know. There's often great counsel in those evasive answers. And if you don't get it, if you don't understand when somebody gives an evasive answer, you don't understand, just go back to number two and ask more questions. Okay, number four, here we go. Take their advice. Do it, what they tell you to do. Because listen, look at me, look at me, this is critical. You're a smart person. I'm assuming that many of you in this room want to follow Jesus, and for those who don't, you're just exploring things of faith, that's great, we're glad you're here. I'm assuming you want to make great life choices. I'm assuming that. And I'm assuming you're a smart person, and so the people that you invite into your life, those counselors that you choose to apply Proverbs twenty-two seventeen and listen to their advice, listen to the wise, apply that, I'm assuming there's not going to be just a bunch of, you know, goofballs, right? Like, it's people that love you and want the best for you, people who have been there before, people who have navigated those waters before. Like, when you build that personal advisory team and you ask for their advice and you mine out that wisdom, do it. Like, you didn't, you didn't choose them for no reason. You chose them because they're great people who love you and want the best for you and it's gonna help you make a great, wise, wise choice. So when Solomon says, pay attention and listen to the counsel of the wise, he's not just saying, pay attention and listen so you can repeat it back to them. Pay attention and listen so that you can evaluate it and decide to do something, something else. He's saying, pay attention and listen. Put it into practice. Do it. Take their advice. You know, Amy and I have had the opportunity uh, to travel a little bit in the last 10 years, almost 10 years now we've been married. And uh, sometimes when we travel, 
local knowledge helps us find the best restaurant. You ever do that when you travel? You got to ask a local. It's like, you know, what's the best Italian restaurant in Rome? There's one called the Olive Garden. It's so good. No. no. <laughs> local knowledge can help you find the best restaurant. Local knowledge can help you avoid long lines at tourist destinations. But sometimes, local knowledge, asking for outside counsel, helps you avoid far more disastrous consequences. Uh, Nigel once told me a story about when he was sailing around the Horn of Africa, just like Joshua Slocum did 120 years ago. Nigel told me that they were in his sailboat, and he and the crew had been offshore for more than two weeks. Can you imagine that? They hadn't seen land in more than two weeks. He told me that the weather was so bad, at times they were afraid they were going to die. But the crew was so seasick, at times they were afraid they weren't going to die. He said the swells were so big and the waves were so big that the lighthouse was disappearing behind them. And so when the waves subsided, they had to find the lighthouse again and get their bearings. And they had been fighting it for more than two weeks. As they sailed around the Horn of Africa, they approached a cove and it, it, that would offer them the safety and security and rest that they so desperately needed. But they radioed in in advance and asked the expert, the local guide, the guy who had been there before, the guy who monitored that cove, and they said, should we or should we not enter today? And the guy, the expert, on the other end of the line, said, look, here's the deal. You're only supposed to enter that cove when there is slack water through that entrance because the entrance is so difficult, it's so treacherous, it's so challenging to navigate. There has to be slack water, which means there's no water going in and no water going out. The water's just sitting still. And today there isn't slack water. It's moving and shaking in there. So if you choose to do this, it will mean your life today. Could you imagine that? You've been offshore for more than two weeks and you're sick and tired and you need safety and security, but here you're faced with a choice. It's interesting that Nigel um, applied one of our principles. He hove to, which means that he turned his boat out in the water, he dropped his sails, and they were still for a while and they deliberated. They extended the gaps, remember? They were patient in the choice. They talked together and they chose that day not to enter the cove. That day, local knowledge for Nigel was literally a lifesaver. Now, if you do Proverbs twenty-two seventeen, if you pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise, it probably won't save your physical life. Just, just probably won't. But some of the stakes are just as high, aren't they? It might save your married life. It might save your financial life. Paying attention and listening to the sayings of the wise, experts, people who have been there before that love you and want the best for you. It might save your work life. It might save your family life. It might save your spiritual life. It might save your emotional life. And because the stakes are so high, let's consult local knowledge on choices. Let's ask someone who has been there before when we're faced with choices. Let's pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise and watch our life choices get better for it. Sound good? Good. Hey, let me pray for you if you would bow your head. Bowing your head isn't really the biblical posture of prayer. The Bible doesn't tell us always bow your head when you pray, but really it's just a, it's just a reflection of our heart posture before God, of our life posture before God, saying, God, my head is bowed just as my heart and life are bowed before you. God, I pray for those in the room that are facing choices. Some people are facing choices whether or not to stay in their marriage. Some folks in the room are facing a choice whether or not to move to a new city or 
take a new job, invest in a certain place, change careers. God, we got big and small choices on the horizon. So I pray that you would bring experts into our life, people that love us and care about us, that have been there before, friends, colleagues, spouses, that are willing and able to tell us the weaknesses that we're not aware of, to tell us the things that we don't know we don't know, and to help us make great choices. I pray that we would be a people and a church that would listen to the sayings of the wise and apply the counsel that we're given that you inspire in others that love us and care about us. Thanks, Jesus, for your presence here with us this morning and for your grace to us in all things. God, I don't know why, but I'm especially grateful that when we make unwise choices, you love us even then. Even when we fail to apply, you love us even then. You're gracious to us even then. You pour out undeserved favor even then. You redeem and heal even then. God, would you be the captain of this boat we call life? Would you be the navigator of our ship and lead us into great choices? In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen.